Well, good morning, Lighthouse Baptist Church. Good morning. Good, morning. good to see you all today. Well, let's open with a word of prayer. God, we are so grateful to have a church this morning to go to. We're so grateful to have other believers that believe in Jesus like we do. We're so thankful that we can encourage each other, be there for each other when one of us is hurting. God, we love each other only because we have the love that comes from you. Thank you, God, for the love you pour into us so that we can pour that love out for others. Thank you, God, and I pray that you would speak through me. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would guide us in our understanding of what you have to say to us today. I pray that your message would be burned onto our hearts this week. And God, I pray that we will remember it and live it out meditate on it this week. We love you and it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Okay, this is our last week in our series on the book of Acts. So we've been looking at people who belong to the way. That's how Christians were described in the book of Acts, those who belong to the way of Jesus. So when we're looking at the book of Acts, we're looking at what they look like. What do people who belong to Jesus look like? Well, today, we're looking at how people who belong to the way of Jesus are testifying about Jesus. People who belong to Jesus testify about Jesus. What does that mean? Well, our passage today is going to show us better what it looks like and what it is to testify about Jesus. But before we get into that, let's look at our passage for today. So we are in Acts chapter 6, verse 9 through 29. Acts chapter 26, verse 9 through 29. Before we start reading, though, we need a little bit of background on what's going on. In our text today, Paul is going to be giving a defense of himself. But why is he giving an, a, a defense of himself? Why is he standing before King Agrippa and his sister? Why is he standing before Governor Festus? Why is he standing before Roman officials and military leaders? Well, the reason is because he has spent the last two years unfairly in prison. And the Roman governors have not let him out, even though they know there's no reason he should be in there. They're afraid of what the Jews might think if they let him out. So. Paul has appealed to Caesar for his freedom, to stand before Caesar and give an account. But Governor Festus doesn't know what to tell Caesar. I'm sending Paul off to Caesar, but I'm not really sure what I'm even writing about. What did Paul even do wrong? So this is Paul's chance to stand up and defend himself. And King Agrippa is there. King Agrippa is familiar with Judaism would even be considered a practicing Jew. And so hopefully, as far as Governor Festus is concerned, maybe King Agrippa can make some sense of why these Jewish people are so upset with Paul. And maybe he can make some sense out of what Paul is preaching. So starting in verse 9, we hear Paul giving his defense. So chapter 26, verse 9. Paul says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. 
and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. So what do we see Paul doing in this long passage? We see Paul testifying 
about Jesus. Is it important to testify about Jesus? Well, we know that it's important to testify about Jesus because three times in the book of Acts, it's not like Luke is typing this up on a computer and he can print as many pages as he wants. No, he's writing this on parchment, and yet he chooses to give Paul's testimony three times. Not only that, but every time you look in the book of Acts, when Jesus is speaking to Paul, every time, he's always encouraging him to testify about Jesus. Every single time, he's encouraging Paul to testify about him. Earlier in the book of Acts, when Paul was raised down to the barracks because Jewish people were starting a riot around him, it says that the next night, Jesus came and stood before Paul and said, just as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify about me in Rome. Well, Paul's not quite yet at Rome at this point, but we see that he's doing what Jesus called him to do. He's testifying about Jesus. So what does it look like to testify about Jesus? Well, our passage today shows us a great example of what it looks like to testify about Jesus. So what does our passage teach us about testifying about Jesus? Well, it shows us what testifying about Jesus is. It shows us what testifying about Jesus does, and it shows us where testifying about Jesus leads. So it shows us what testifying about Jesus is. What is testifying about Jesus? Well, what does it mean to testify? That's, let's look at that first. We don't see the word testify in our passage that we read today. But throughout Acts, when the word testify is used, even when Jesus uses it, there's a Greek word, martyruo, which means to bear witness. So to testify, today we view testify as pretty much exclusive to going to court. When you go to court, you testify about facts. Well, back in that time, it wasn't that tied up in courts. It was a part of courts, but it was something you did when you told the truth. When you bear witness to what you've seen, when you give an account of the truth, you are testifying. And isn't that what Paul is doing right here in the book of Acts? He's giving a true account of his experience with Jesus. So if testifying is to bear witness about something, then to testify about Jesus is to bear witness to who Jesus is. Who is Jesus in your life? How have you witnessed him? How have you met him? Sometimes when people ask us about Jesus, we can feel a little bit intimidated. We think, what scripture passage should I point them to? What deep theology should I tell them about? Well, really, Jesus tells Paul, just tell them about me. Tell them about who I am. Tell them about how you met me. Tell them the facts about me that you know from experience. And so we may say, I don't testify very much. But actually, I'm pretty sure all of you have testified at some point, even today, when you sat around waiting for church to start. Didn't some of you say, how did your week go? What did you do last week? What did you do Friday? And then what did you do? You 
bore witness to the truth. You told what you did. We testify all the time. Testifying is not complicated. It's just bearing witness to something that's happened. So testifying about Jesus is doing the same thing as we always do, except explaining and describing our experience with Jesus. This is something we do all the time. And Paul didn't have to write a story about how he met Jesus. He didn't have to write a book or a letter. He just had to explain from experience, this is what I know about Jesus. James S. Stewart, in his book, Heralds of God, he says, you do not need to be eloquent or clever or sensational or skilled in dialect. You must be real. To fail there is to fail abysmally and tragically. It is to damage incalculably the cause you represent. So what is James Stewart saying? He's saying, you don't have to be impressive. You don't have to be sensational. All you have to do is be real. Tell the truth. Tell the truth about Jesus. What is he to you? When you're testifying about Jesus, you're simply giving a true account of your experience with him. And that is what Paul did in our passage. Well, the next question is, what does testifying about Jesus do? Well, when you look at what Paul said, he did. He said, therefore, O king, I was not disobedient to the vision, but I went out. We see this in verses 19 through 20. He says, I declare first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Why did he say that they should repent and perform deeds in keeping with their repentance? That doesn't seem to make very much sense, does it? I mean, isn't repentance turning from doing wrong and starting to do right? Why would he say repent and then start to do right? Well, the more biblical view of repentance is to have your mind changed, your lifestyle changed, your direction that you're going in changed. So Paul was not just going around telling people to stop doing wrong and start doing right. No, Paul was going around and changing people's minds about who God is based on his experience with Jesus. Now, of course, he didn't change everybody's mind, but that was his goal. And that was why he could say, repent, change your mind, and then live according to how your mind has been changed. So what does testifying about Jesus do? It changes people's minds. It changes their direction. We are able to persuade, and that's the goal of testifying about Jesus, is to persuade people to come into a relationship with Jesus. An example of that is C.S. Lewis. So we all know who C.S. Lewis is. Great Christian writer and thinker. But when he was 32 years old, he was still an atheist. He did not believe in God. He would not call himself a Christian. But his friends, Hugo Dyson and J.R.R. Tolkien, <coughs> talked to him about Christianity. And C.S. Lewis said, 
Christianity is, is just another myth. How can I separate it from all the other myths? And Tolkien and Dyson said, yes, Christianity is a myth, but it's a true myth. It's the myth that actually happened. And this struck a chord in Lewis's brain. Whatever he was struggling with, eventually, days later, it changed his mind, and he became a believer in Jesus. And years later, he would say, Dyson and Tolkien played a huge role in helping me to become a believer. Lewis repented, but what did that include? It, it included his mind being changed. And how did that happen? Tolkien and Dyson told him their experience with Jesus. They said, my experience of Jesus is like being in a myth, only it's true, it's real, it's real in my life and it can be real in your life too. When we testify about Jesus, we're leading someone to a crossroads. We're leading them to a point where they can make a decision. I mean, we see Paul doing even this in verse 27. He says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. In other words, Agrippa, if you believe what the prophets said, then it's only logical that you would believe in the one who fulfills all that he said. And King Agrippa said, would you in such a short time convince me to become a Christian? Paul said, whether now or later, that's not my concern. I only want you to have the hope that I have. Paul didn't press him and say, decide right now, you have to decide. No, he told him his testimony. He told him, you need to make a decision about this too, but he didn't force that decision. You can't force someone to accept this or to believe in this. You can only present your story and your account. You can only give your testimony and bear witness to what is true in your life so that it can become a truth in their life too. So we've seen what testifying about Jesus is. We've seen what testifying about Jesus does. But where does testifying about Jesus lead? Well, we talked about King Agrippa. King Agrippa said, in such a short time, would you convince me to be a Christian? Paul said, short or long, I hope to God that you become as I am, except for these chains. What did Paul mean when he said that? Well, at first it could kind of sound mean. I'm in chains, I hope you become like I am. But no, Paul's not saying, I hope you suffer. Paul's saying, I hope someday that you have what I have. Now, if you are to look at that setting, Paul is probably the last person that you would want to be. But Paul says, no, I have something that you don't have. I wish to God that you had it. I wish because I love you and I care about you. But we may ask, what does Paul have? What is he talking about? What does Paul have? Well, who better to answer that question than Jesus himself? In verse 18, what does Jesus say? He says that he is sending Paul out to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan 
to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So when Paul said, I wish that you were as I am, what was he saying? He was saying, I wish that you could go from darkness to light. I wish that you could go from the power of Satan to the power of God. I wish that you could experience the forgiveness of sins. I wish you could be among those who are sanctified by faith and being made holy by God. Paul says, I have a hope that is stronger and bigger than these chains. Oh, I have chains on? I forgot about that because I'm looking at something so much bigger and better. All you can see are chains. But I see someone who has gone from darkness to light. And Paul says, that's where I want this to go. Because isn't that what King Agrippa is asking? He's saying, Paul, where is this leading? Where is this going? What do you want me to do? And Paul says, hopefully this is leading to you having what I have, hoping, having the hope that I have, the future that I have, the joy that I have, the peace that I have, the life that I have, that you cannot find anywhere. You cannot buy anywhere. You can only receive it. So Paul gives his testimony about Jesus. Why? In order to lead those who hear it, not just the great people, not just the important people. Paul says, great and small I preach to. Paul wants this for everyone, but here's the thing. Paul is standing before a king, before a governor, before Roman officials, before military leaders, and he is speaking for his life. His life is on the line. Paul, you've been waiting two years for this moment. Now is the time to defend yourself. But Paul chooses to defend Jesus. Yes, he does defend himself, but more than that, he points to Jesus. He defends Jesus. What is he doing? Isn't there a different time you can do this, Paul? But no, Paul explains in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 21, Paul explains why he is doing what he is doing. Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He says, we've been entrusted with 
a message. We've been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Christ. What's an ambassador? Do you know what an ambassador is? An ambassador is someone who represents someone else. That we represent Christ. So when Paul is standing before these people, he's not just representing Paul. He's representing Jesus. Everywhere he goes, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says, I represent Jesus. I'm an ambassador for Jesus. But do you know why I represent Jesus? I can represent Jesus everywhere I go because on the cross, Jesus represented me. When I had no ambassador, when I had no one to speak up for me, when I had no one to go to the cross for me, Jesus, God in the flesh, said, I will represent you on the cross. I'll be an ambassador for you on the cross. Because Jesus was an ambassador for us on the cross, we can be an ambassador for Jesus everywhere we go, in good times and even in bad times when we're wearing chains. We can represent Jesus. We can testify about Jesus because Jesus testifies about us. What does the book of Hebrews say? It says, here, we talked about what we've been led to. Hebrews says, here, you've been led to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and you've been led to sprinkled blood, which says a greater word than the blood of Abel. What does that mean? Abel, Abel, the one that was killed by Cain, remember, Abel was killed by Cain for making a sacrifice. And his blood cried out to God because he was murdered. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus' blood cries out a greater word. Why is that? Because the blood of Abel said, I've been murdered for making a sacrifice. But the blood of Jesus says, I've been murdered as the sacrifice. I didn't just lose my life. I gave my life. I gave it up to you. My blood speaks out. It testifies. It bears witness. It tells truth. And what is the truth that it tells? You are deeply loved and cared for by God. More than you ever thought possible. More than you ever hoped or dreamed that you could ever be. The blood of Jesus speaks a greater word than the blood of Abel because the blood of Jesus says, I love you. I'll go as far as I need to go for you. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll even take your place on the cross. Because Jesus represented us on the cross, we can represent Jesus. Because Jesus' blood testifies for us, we can testify for Jesus. When we testify about Jesus, we're not just telling people what a book said or what a letter said. We are telling people, I have seen a light that shines brighter than the sun, and because of that, 
I have a hope stronger than chains. And when people hear your testimony, your witness about Jesus, then they too can experience what you experience, can know what you know, can feel what you feel, and they can give their testimony of how their life was saved, redeemed, and changed. They will testify about what? How Jesus testified about them. And that is what God calls us to do. He calls us to simply tell the truth. Who is Jesus to you? What has he done for you? What is the difference that he's made for you? It doesn't have to be complicated. Point to that. Point to Jesus on the cross and how it has changed everything for you. Let's pray. God, your blood did not just cry out one day. It cries out today. And it cries out forever. It speaks up for us. It says that we are loved and cared for. It says that we are forgiven. God, we know that when you look at us, you see Jesus. You see his perfect record. You see a spotless lamb because Jesus took our sins on him and by dying on the cross those sins died but God we know that Jesus is not in the tomb anymore he rose never to die again and that is our hope that was Paul's hope, that was Israel's hope that was Moses' hope, that was the prophet's hope that we could have life in you freedom in you, joy in you peace in you. God, because of Jesus, that is a reality for us. And I pray, God, that we wouldn't just keep it to ourselves, that we would testify, we would bear witness and tell the truth about who you are and what you've done for us. And we love you, God, but only because you loved us first. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.